Uh, we are going to continue uh, the series in the book of uh, Philemon, and this is the second and last of the series. We're only doing a two-lesson series. I was going to try to get it all done last week, but uh, we just kind of ran into uh, the clock a little bit. Now, one thing I do want to say that uh, Brother Dobbins, right before church, he has an app on his uh, phone, and they do pronounce it Philemon. So there are three different ways to pronounce, uh, but I'm going to call it Philemon tonight. So that's going to be the, the pronunciation. But if you would, get to your Bibles, and we're going to continue on. I'm going to do a little bit of an uh, overview on what I taught on last week. And we looked at how Onesimus was a slave uh, of Philemon, and uh, he, was, he wronged him by leaving him. And somehow he ended up in Rome, and as a result of being in Rome, uh, the Lord saved him. And as a result of that, I don't know if it's by the, the words of the Apostle Paul or if God directed him to the Apostle Paul later on, but as a result of that, Paul knew that he had to, he had to complete a work in Onesimus. He knew that God had saved him, and, you know, he was on, on the right path. But the Apostle Paul understood that for this salvation to be complete, he's got to make re reconciliation with where he came from. And I talked about how the Apostle Paul could have kept him. And you'll see whenever we begin to uh, delve into some of the scriptures that you could tell that Paul wanted to hang on to him. He was a true blessing uh, to the Apostle, but he knew that uh, this reconciliation had to be uh, just uh, uh, finished up in a way to where he could go back to where he came from and make things right. And that's kind of where we, uh, what the, the crux of the, of the whole letter is all about. This is the Apostle Paul, you know, writing to Philemon and saying, hey, I got your, your, your slave, if you will, and I'm going to send him back, and I need you to do some things in, in the, the process of reconciliation. And so in sending him back, Paul wrote specifically what had happened to Onesimus, and he understood that this was not the, the man who left. This is not the same man that, that had left you, that, you know, something took place in his heart, and, and as a result, I need you to, you know, let him come back and make things right with you. And that's pretty well where we were at. Uh, I talked a little bit about the, some general principles from Philemon, uh, reconciliation principles from Philemon. I just, uh, a couple of them that I, I uh, went over last week was uh, that reconciliation is a, a mandate. And that we find in the Word of God that it is something that's not, you know, uh, something we ought to work on, but it is something that we are mandated to do. And so when the Word of God tells us to do something, we need to, uh, really focus on and take heed that this is the Word of God, and what does the Word have to say about this subject? Well, Galatians tells us in Galatians uh, chapter 6 and verse number 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And then it says in verse number 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I read that last week, and it's worth repeating that reconciliation is a mandate of the church. In fact, for us to be the church that God has, uh, you know, ordained and that he has established with him being the, the chief cornerstone, he represents uh, the cross and forgiveness and salvation and mercy and grace. Well, if he's the chief cornerstone of that, that means that we, as the church, need to also portray a spirit of reconciliation. Amen? 
But in order for that to happen, and that's why I think that this book is necessary for us to, uh, to learn about, and the reason why I'm taking two lessons to, to go over it, is because reconciliation has to be done right. And for, in order for it to, to truly be effective, in order for it to be truly right, it needs to be done in the right manner. Both, you know, the, the church that's opening their arms to that person who wants to be reconciled and also to the person that, you know, they need to have the heart that goes along with that, that spirit of reconciliation to where it can be a match that, that coincides with each other to where there can be, uh, you know, a, a, a restoration that takes place in the, for the church body and also for that person that may have strayed or left where they uh, were in, in the body of Christ. Number two, I went over reconciliation is done out of the depth of love and character. I'm not going to uh, reteach that, but if you don't have love with the reconciliation, it's going to be frustrating. And in fact, it's really not going to be effective because there's not going to be a trust. It's always going to be, a, you know, I got my eye on you. I'm doing this because I'm supposed to do it in the Word of God. But if it's done in the spirit of love, then you're willing to allow that process. And notice I said the word process. It's not an event. Reconciliation is not like a one-time thing and, you know, and, and, and there you go, there you have it. No, it's got to be a, a process. And for that process to, to literally uh, take place the way God wants it to take place, there has to be love in order for that process to continue on. But also there has to be character involved with the reconciliation and that goes, what that represents, I'm not going to go into the detail of, of that word, but it basically means that it's got to be done the right way, both ways, whether it be the one seeking reconciliation or whether it be the individuals in the church body that's trying to reconcile that person. It's got to be done uh, with character. Now, let's look at, uh, for the lesson tonight, verse number uh, 8 through 14 is where we're going to look uh, to begin tonight. Reconciliation must be done with diplomacy and with kindness. Now, you know, diplomacy can sound like it's, you know, uh, you know you're kind of uh, flattering or you're ch trying to, uh, you know, uh, work with them in a way that maybe you're, you're compromising a little bit on what truth is. That's, that's not what I'm talking about because we're going to look at the scripture here and you'll see what I'm talking about when I say diplomacy and kindness. This verse number eight says, Wherefore, uh, this is the Apostle Paul, thought I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, okay? But he goes on to say, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech or I ask you, okay? So the apostle Paul is not demanding that's the character that I'm talking about, doing it the right way. He did not demand that that church body open up their bowels of mercy, is what he says later on, or their hearts of mercy. That had to be something that they chose to do, not that they were made to do, because if they're made to do it, the love factor's not there. There's no love there, or the character for that matter. But if he's you know, forcing them to do this, and by the authority of, of his apostleship, he probably could have done that. He could have said, I, I'm telling you, I, I, the voice of God, and I'm telling you, you need to do this. But he understood. The apostle Paul had so, uh, enough wisdom to know, I can tell them till I'm blue in the face to love and to accept and you know, bring these people, bring Onesimus back. But if it's not done out of love, 
If it's not done out of their own heart, then it's going to be a waste of time. In fact, Onesimus will probably lose his soul because he's going to be hurt in the, in the whole course of what the Apostle Paul is trying to accomplish in his life of growing to a higher level and, and being able to get this, these things behind him. It could have been a detriment, and these people could have resented the fact that this man left us, he left us high and dry, and the Apostle Paul, he's not even here to deal with Onesimus. And here he's expecting us to, with open arms, bring him in. And he's a thief. He's a robber. He's, he's stolen these things. And they could have resented that. And then out of their, you know, later on, they might have faked it for a while, you know, but their trueness would come out. But if Onesimus made a mistake, they'd say, yep, see, that he's the same guy. He's the same guy. And here the Apostle Paul's making us, you know, love him back and, and bring him back into the, the body. But, you know, they, then they'd probably push back, and then Onesimus could have lost his salvation. So you can see that, that the Apostle Paul is saying, I ask you, he said, for my son Onesimus. So he's identifying with Onesimus, whom I begotten in my bonds or, uh, it, you know, while he was in jail, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. See, that's where the character comes in. The Apostle Paul could have said, I'm keeping him for myself. You guys don't really want him. You're, you're mad at him anyway, so I'm going to keep him myself. And he can be uh, profitable for me. But he said, no, he's profitable for you. He understood that the salvation that took place in Onesimus, it was a transformation. His heart had been changed. So he knew what he was sending back to that church uh, was going to be a, a profit to the church and a benefit to the church. Then he goes on to say, uh, whom I have sent, again, thou therefore receive him, that is my own heart, uh, mine own bowels or heart, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he, he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of, of the gospel. But without thy mind, in other words, without you consenting, I would do nothing. I wouldn't do that without your consent. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have character here. And you know what they call that? They call that ministerial ethics. In other words, I'm not going to steal him from you or I'm not going to try to uh, take him from that body because he's a benefit to me. I, I, I want him for myself. But he had ministerial ethics and he said, not for my own gain. I wouldn't do that to you without your consent. So I'm sending him back that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. So uh, from these verses, we can see that the Apostle Paul was not arrogant. He wasn't rude, but he was very kind and, and beseeching. And, and, you know, he wasn't uh, uh, usurping his authority, or I mean using his, uh, manip using his authority in the wrong manner, but he was using it properly by saying, listen, you know, by my authority I might be able to do this, but that wouldn't be right. I'd be, I'd be uh, uh, overstepping my, my authority from what I feel is right, and so he was not going to do that. So Paul was very considerate of Philemon's uh, thoughts and his feelings and, and understood all the, you know, the residue that this, this wrongdoing had left in Philemon. In fact, you know, uh, later on we'll read in, in the verses that it didn't only affect uh, Philemon, he, he addressed his mother and his son in this letter. So what he understood that this offense and what he, the, the, the hole that he left was not just the pastor, but it was, the, it was also the, the, the family of that pastor. And not only that, and you'll see later on, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself in the teaching, and this could be a nightmare for me later on when I get there, but I'll figure it out when I get there. 
but, but it was also the church body. He included them. And so before I mess up the lesson totally, let me get back to where I'm at. But Paul refused. He, he refused to cover up the wrong. And so he went back to, the, uh, you know, to what was right. He said, we're going to right these wrongs. And so uh, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Onesimus. I'm going to talk to his family. I'm going to talk to the church. And so, uh, in fact, uh, we should reconcile with others because we are debtors ourselves. And that's what the Apostle Paul went on to say. Aren't we all debtors? You know, when you really think about what God has forgiven us of, what he's called us out of, what he's keeping us from, you know, the, the dangers, I mean, the, the hand of the, the traveling grace that was on you guys when you were traveling, the, you know, the, the tragic event of, a, of what happened back there. I can't even talk about without thinking how terrible of a, of a thing that happened to Addison. I mean, God's hand is upon us. So he shows us so much mercy and kindness and love and regard that what we've got to do is in return, we've got to represent him right. And we need to be thankful what God has done for us. He also wants to do for other people. Amen? So verse 17, it tells us, I mean, he's very blatant about it. He says, if then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. If you, if you count me as being a brother in this thing, then you need to receive him. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. Paul's saying, I'll take care of it. But then he goes on to say this, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay. Okay, so he's writing, this is on me. I'm not just, you know, this isn't lip service. This isn't somebody else writing and kind of exaggerating what I'm, I'm saying here. This is me writing it. He said, I will repay. But he says, not to mention to you that you owe me even yourself besides. If you want to get technical about this thing and you want to get out the cash register and you want to start adding up everything, getting, you know, this is what he owes me. And so, uh, Paul, I'm going to send you a bill for all this. Understand one thing. You owe me your very life. You know, as in other words, he's saying, I'm going to pay you and I will whatever you want. But you need to understand before you give me that bill and you expect that money. You need to let that go through your mind of the, the grace and the mercy and the, the love that God has for you and the forgiveness that he has given you when you were not worthy of any of the forgiveness. You know, he's saying you, got, you have salvation by the words that I preached to you, the mentoring I did or the, the discipleship that I, I had uh, uh, given to you. So you owe me your everything, too. I could if you want to you know, send me a bill. I might write me up a bill, too, and then send it back to you, and, you know, which he wasn't going to do that, but he wanted to plant the, the thought that you also owe a whole lot, okay? And, and so this is Paul's way of letting him know that, reminding him that we are all debtors in this thing. We are all part of the, of the body, and I don't think he would have even said that if it wasn't for his uh, acknowledgement of, of what God had done in Onesimus. I think that God had so transformed this, this young man that he was very confident in saying that, you know, God has done an incredible work in this man. He's got a great heart. He loves the Lord. And so understand that what he's done for you, he's also done for this young man. And that was his way of saying that. When you think about it, uh, the parable of the two servants is a perfect example on how we are all uh, debtors and how sometimes we look at at the, uh, the amount of grace that God has given to us. The servant to the king, remember, uh, owed the king 
they say it could be anywhere from three million. Now, remember, this is a parable, so this didn't really happen, but this parable was an illustration, and it goes to the extreme to where, you know, you're not, you're not saying, well, if it was over $1,000, then maybe it'd be different. It could have been anywhere from $3 million to $12 million that that servant owed the king. All right, so that's an exaggeration, or it's a, it's a parable that shows this is the, the wide gap or the amount that this, this man could not even begin uh, to pay the king back. And so the servant of the king, he was forgiven of the debt. The king said, no longer do you have that debt. You don't owe me one, one dime. And so the, uh, the, the fellow servant owed him, and by the, 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 uh, um, the amount of the translation of the money uh, value, it would be his debt to this servant was $12. Now, the Bible says that he wanted his money right away. The one who had been forgiven of so much, he wanted his money so much that he choked him. I mean, he grabbed him by the neck, and he threatened to kill him over 12 bucks. But yet he had been forgiven of 3 to $11 million dollars, uh, by the king himself, and so, so the illustration is that, you know, when we begin to look at forgiving somebody, and, and restoring them, and giving them a break, or not, you know, you know, I've been talking about judgment a lot lately, and locking them in to a judgment that you'll never ever think uh, good of them again, or, or the possibility of them moving on, and growing out of that thing, whatever they're struggling with, it's the same principle. We've been forgiven of so much that we have the obligation. We have the duty. In fact, our salvation, the Bible says that if we can't forgive them, then that, that forgiveness pipeline is going to be cut off and we'll no longer be forgiven. And that is, that's the scripture that we read in the Word of God and, and understand that we also have the obligation to be able to, to forgive somebody of their, their debts. Now, Understand this, and I, you know, this is the reality that I bring out whenever I try to teach because I don't want to throw principles out and just leave you hanging like, okay, well, I need to do better and I need to be this and that. That doesn't mean that you have to go on vacation with them. You know, when you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that you're going to spend Christmas with them. In other words, what I'm saying, it doesn't mean that you're, you've got to be the, the bosom buddies and your best friend. You can't force that, but you can you can forgiveness. You can say, I forgive you of your debt, but it doesn't mean that you've got to, you know, the, the process of the relationship has to be played out. You know, you're not going to automatically, perhaps, maybe you will, maybe, maybe you won't, but I want to be real here. But one thing is commanded is that we need to forgive them and we need to love them. Is there an obligation on the other end? Yes, there is, and I'll get to that in a moment. That's why I want to teach this lesson. A reconciliation should be done willingly rather by compulsion. And that word means, uh, in fact, let me read it from the New King James Version. Without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be done, uh, not, may, might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntarily, or not uh, manipulated or forced. It's not like you're obligated to do this. You're doing it because you want to do it. You, you, from the depths of your heart, you want to forgive them. And that's what the Apostle Paul was trying to let Philemon know, is that I'm not telling you to forgive, and then you, know, and then you just feel like, well, man, Paul's been good to me, so I owe him this. I want you to do it because you want to do it. It's because you, you have a desire for that to take place because the, the spirit that's inside of you, the mercy and the grace is 
shed abroad in your heart to where you can give that naturally instead of a forced obedience or obligation or compulsion that you have to do that, okay? So that's what Paul was trying to let them know. This needs to be a voluntary act that you're going to give that person. We should not be coerced or dragged into uh, making somebody, you got to forgive them, you got to, you know, make everything right. Uh, we'll preach it, and it might be strong that we tell or preach that, but that, that doesn't mean that you... You do it just strictly because, oh, kicking and screaming, i got to forgive them, or I've got to give them a second chance when they're asking for it. No, that's something you ought to be able to do uh, without uh, being dragged into it. Now, number six, uh, forgiveness and reconciliation go hand in hand, all right? Let's look at verse number 18. It says, but if he hath wronged thee at all, or oweth thee ought, put that to my account. That's the uh, American uh, Standard Version. Paul was asking Philemon not only to allow Onesimus to return home, but I also want you to forgive him of his debt. Not only let him come back to the church, but I also want you to forgive him of their debt. Now, he could say this about Onesimus because Onesimus was, he turned into a very good man, and Paul knew that. If, if the Apostle Paul knew that he was still a thief and a robber, do you really think that he would have sent him back to Philemon? No, he would have kept him by the jail cell in case he needs to go in jail himself. In other words, if he kept living that lifestyle, guess what? They might be partners for different reasons, but they might be in the same cell together. So there's no way that Paul would have sent him back to Philemon's home to wreak havoc in that home. There's no way he would have done that. The apostle was, he, he was a wise man, and he would not expect Onesimus or Philemon to bring Onesimus back into his home, knowing that he had not had a transformation in his life. But he was asking him, he said, and this brings me to number seven, when reconciliation is made, it is made to a brother status. When true, uh, true uh, uh, change is taking place in the heart of a person, verse 15, it says, for perhaps he therefore departed for a season, okay, but then something began to happen in his heart that thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant. You're not bringing him back as a servant because he's no longer a servant. Now, he's, he's going to pay his debt, and he's going to serve you, but he's not your servant anymore. He's your brother. Something has taken place in him. That's how confident Paul was. Well, well, it says, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So he's become a brother to Philemon because of the transformation that had taken place. Uh, and this, you know, when you think about the prodigal son, when he, was, he came back to his father's household, you know, he's like, man, even the servants eat better than this pig slop. So he goes back thinking, at least I can become a servant in my father's home. But that didn't wash too well. I mean, his father immediately comes running out to him. He's saying, my son, my son, you're, you're not my servant. You're my son. Gets a ring for his finger. A fatted calf is, you know, uh, uh, cooked and uh, uh, barbecued for him. They have a great big party for his son that was lost, but now he was found. Though so that status did not mean that, you know, you bring it back to be a lesser in the body or the lesser in your home, but that's your brother. 
And, and so the prodigal was a good illustration about, you know, how, how this transformation had taken place so much so in his heart that he was no longer just some stranger, some Joe, you know, some guy out there, but he was, he was the real, real part of the body of Christ that was coming uh, back home. Now, the church knew of the wrong, and Paul wanted them to know that right was done, okay? And we find this in verse number uh, 2, uh, and it talks about how, yeah, and it's talking about his mom and his brother, and it says, and to the church in thy house. He, and this is what I was talking about a little bit ago. He understood that the offense that he had, he had uh, uh, you know, uh, done towards the church and to the family was not just to Philemon, but it was to everybody. Everybody was affected by the hole that this uh, man had left when he, he ran away. So it's very appropriate for the church to be a part of the restoration process. And I'll get a little bit more into that in a moment because the church is also affected, right? When somebody leaves the church, everybody's affected. Everybody is hurt. Everybody is just bummed out by it. And, and you know, you try not to allow that to be the, the rule of the day, but it is sad. I'm telling you, when people uh, leave the church and they, they lose their way, it's probably one of the hardest things that, uh, as, a, as a saint of God, to deal with. You know, it's hard to, to watch that because you genuinely love them and they are part of the family. It's like part of your family just there today and gone tomorrow. And it's heartbreaking. It's very, very difficult. And that's what the Apostle Paul was trying to uh, let them understand. This is not just about you, Philemon. You know, it's not just a wrong against you, but there's other people that are involved here that are also hurting over the, the loss of this relationship. Uh, verse number 22, accountability is the key, I think, to restoration. And this is the part that I, I, I truly believe that, that is on the other end. There needs to be accountability. And for the church to be able to be successful in reconciliation and not just make it a one-time event and then get, you know, uh, not handle it properly and then leave a bad taste in the mouth of the church over the failure of that reconciliation, there has to be a, an accountability factor involved in the restoration. Verse 22 says, at the same time, and this is the RSV uh, version, prepare a guest room for me. He said, in other words, I'm going to be there too. There's going to be accountability. And Philemon, I'm going to, I'm going to check on him. I'm going to go there and I'm going to make sure everything's okay. I'm not dumping this problem or, or this situation on you. And Paul was very confident that there was a transformation that, that had taken place. But I'm also going to back it up. Get a room ready for me because Onesimus is going to know that I'm going to be watching him, that I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that he takes care of this uh, you know, the, the paying back of the debt or making things right or part of the, the process of being restored to the place that he was before, even more so, and that is as a brother. I'm going to make sure that it's done in the right, right manner. So this reconciliation has to be done with accountability. Amen? We don't give them the keys to the church and the van and the, yeah, the pulpit the first time they come back and pray through again. Right? It's not that we're being mean or ugly or unforgiving, but you know what? We're going to be wise about it. In fact, it's more of a favor to them that you're not giving them everything back and, you know, to where they're, they're growing back into the position of being part of that body again. I think sometimes the mistake is made where you get them right back in the choir, get them back, you know, totally involved, and it's like nothing ever happened. 
And it's not that they have to pay penance. It's not that they have to uh, go through any kind of, uh, you know, punishment. It's not a punishment thing, but it's an accountability of being able to grow back into the position, uh, you know, or at least the, 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 uh, the ability of, of, uh, of knowing this is who you are right now. Because sometimes our, our, our minds aren't quite as fast in, in bringing us back to this is our place than our bodies are. We might be there, but that doesn't mean that we are in our mind in that position and being able to handle who we are. That's why sometimes when people pray through, you know, and they get the Holy Ghost and they, they've really had an emotional stirring and transformation in their life and they are there, they're still trying to get used to being a son or daughter of the Lord. It takes some time for them, and they, they might even cuss. There might be a cuss word that comes out of their mouth, or, or there might be some uh, old habits that they're still thinking, where are these things coming from? I've, I've been saved and sanctified. I, I've got the Holy Ghost. I shouldn't be dealing with this stuff any longer, right? But that's that old man. They're still trying to catch up to who they are in Christ Jesus, and that's why discipleship and teaching and church and being around the body of Christ and being around believers is so vital. You've got to be around them so that that stuff just kind of uh, 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 protrudes out of that apostolic Pentecostal uh, man or woman of God. And they, they feel that and they, they become part of that, that transformation. I was talking to Tom right before church. We were uh, talking about just, you know, his testimony. And one day I'm going to have him. I'm going to make him get up here. I said, when you're ready, I want you to give your whole testimony. I might just have to say, Tom, this is your day. But he, I'm telling you, he's going, no, no. But he, I'll tell you, you know, he reminded me of things. He told me some things just a little while ago that I didn't even know. I don't even know if he'd be comfortable telling you all about these things, but it's unbelievable. I didn't even know some of that stuff that you're telling me. I, I was like, wow. You know, so God had brought him even further than I, I thought he had. But the thing is, I said, you're going to have to tell that because I don't see you that way anymore. I forget that you were like that. I forget the, the old Tom because it was such a gradual transformation that had taken place. It got the Holy Ghost, and that was the key. But there was still that transformation that took place, and now, you know, the, the change is incredible. It really is, and, and, and that's what I'm talking about. There has to be uh, uh, the ability of, of, of knowing that, that this is what God has brought me from, and I'm moving into this thing. And I can guarantee you, and I'm just using him tonight, I, we were talking about some others uh, that have come to the Lord the, the past few years or even years ago that God has done a great work in your life, and you forget who you used to be. You forget how you were when you walked through the doors here when you first started coming, what you look like, how you acted, your attitude, uh, the things you did when you left uh, that week, and, you know, all that stuff of going up and down, and, and you know, you forget about all that. But see... The thing is, once you continue to walk with the Lord and do what you know to do and be around the, the, the body, you become part of that body. But for goodness sakes, let's give people a chance to become part of the, the body. Let's give them an opportunity to be able to make mistakes and to learn from them and really understand, I definitely don't want to do that again. You know, that's something I, you know, sometimes they have to experience it again to really know I really don't want that. They might slip up. They might make a mistake. I pray not, but they, they very well might. But once they do, they know, God, I, I don't, I, I, it doesn't taste the same. It, the experience is totally different than it used to be because God has is, is begun to uh, work inside of them. 
But yet, my point is this, sometimes it takes longer for the, the, the actions and the, 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 the actual uh, performance of the works to follow the faith that that person has. The one being restored must come back right, all right? He left, Onesimus left as a sinner, but he came back as a saint, all right? So there's a, there's a transformation that had taken place. Verse number 10 in the NIV, it says, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. In other words, he's making a reference to Onesimus' uh, salvation or his, his transformation. He's saying he's become a son to me. Now, he wasn't talking about just a physical son, but he's become a son in the spiritual realm. He's now, he's part of the body. And he's talking about that, that restoration. You know, he left as a, uh, a sinner, but he came back as a, a, as a saint. Uh, he left unprofitable, but he returned profitable. Verse number 11, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. So he was unprofitable. He was a sinner. He was, you know, uh, just really not a good person. But the transformation had taken place, and he has come back totally different than what he was before. That's what the Apostle Paul was trying to let him know, that there is an obligation, there's, or there's a duty on Onesimus to, to change and to be different. Uh, he left as a slave, returned as a brother. Verse number 16, 15 says, For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved. So he, he's now my brother. He's no longer your servant, but there's been a transformation that has taken place, and he's no longer what he used to be. You know, when I was looking at the, the story, the, the parable of the prodigal son, you know, I, I referred to it a little bit ago about no longer being the, the servant, or he wasn't going to be the servant, he's going to be the son. But when you look at this arrogant young man, before he left, he, you talk about, if I had a son like that, and, and he talked to me, and he, he's demanding after taking care of him and, you know, really working hard for him. And then he comes in and says, I want my inheritance now. You know, for one thing, who says that he should get the inheritance? You know, that's up to the father whether or not you're even in the inheritance, if you know what I mean. You know, this isn't something you demand and say, give me my inheritance. That's pretty arrogant, assuming that there's, you know, not even a chance that he would not get that inheritance or that money or that stuff that's not even his. He didn't work for it at all. He didn't do nothing to accumulate what his father had. But yet, and my point is this, I'm not trying to dog on him too bad, but I want to illustrate what had taken place in him when he came back. He wasn't what he used to be. His attitude was different. And so when somebody wants to be restored and they want to come back to the body and be a part of it, there better be a change of heart. There's no demanding that, you know, forgive me or, you know, make me this or make me that. No, there's, there's a humility, not only on the side of the church to give the restoration and the reconciliation, but also on the one coming back. And if you'll notice, the, uh, his attitude was in verse number 12, give me, give me this, give me my inheritance. But by the time you get to verse number 19, when he returned back to home, this was his attitude, make me. In other words, make me what I need to be. You do the work in me. You, you work on me. I'm yours. I'm, I'm the clay here, and you're the potter. 
I want to be molded by the way that I need to be. See how the, the attitude changed? You know, starvation can do that, I guess. <laughs> a pig pen can, can do that. It's kind of the, the wake-up call, like, you know, I didn't have it so bad at mom and dad's house. Or I didn't have it so bad, you know, the way it used to be. And, and you understand, uh, you get a perspective. You understand what life can really be about when there's a, a wake-up call and you have to deal with, with reality. Uh, the one being restored must be willing to make uh, restitution. And verse number 18 lets us know if he wanted uh, or if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught. Uh, put that on my account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self beside. So Paul, although Paul was asking a Philemon to waive the bill, he was, and he, but if need be, he would make it right. He would make it right, and we talked about that. So restoration simply means that you are making good on the loss or the damage. You're making good on that. You're trying to restore uh, the, you know, what, what you, the harm you had done. You're trying to make it better and make it more of what it was uh, before. And so he was willing to return Philemon to make restitution, but also to make good on that damage. And everybody wants to be reconciled, but not everybody wants to make restitution. You know, it's, it's easy to say, you know, I, I, want, I want to be restored and I want everything the way it used to be. And I pray to God that that can happen over and over again. I, I mean, I, that's my dream. That's, that's my happy thoughts is, is people that had le left the church. And, and understand this. Let me just say this for a moment. If there have been people that have left the church and they're, and they're, they're not where they need to be, all right? You need to understand that. When you talk to them, you see them in Walmart, they're not where they need to be. And there's no telling what they're going to say. All right? You understand that? Uh, so understand that if you hear things and they say things, if, it, if it's something that just keeps on in your mind and you're wondering, well, did that happen? Talk to me. I mean, really communicate. I ask you to do that, and I'm not going to ever throw them under the bus. I'm not going to tell you anything about their life, but I will tell you that's not true. There's more to the story than that. What they tell me and the things that they've dealt with in the past, it's right here. It, it'll never leave my lips. I'll never throw them under the bus uh, as far as their personal uh, background in order to, you know, make the church or myself look good. But you'll have to trust me. You know, if there's something that, you know, it could have been handled better, then I'll say, you know what, there, it probably could have been handled better. You know, and, and that's something that I, I need to reconcile or try to reach out. And I have done that. But when you hear things and, and, you know, just at least communicate and understand that there's, there's probably more to the story and they're not quite where they need to be. And, and so uh, I just want to throw that in because there is a, a, there's a hurt. You know, they're, they're out of their element. They're, under, they're not under the, the authority anymore of what the God-given authority that he has placed them under uh, uh, the church or my, my pastoral authority. And so they're, they're not going to be under that authority anymore. So there may be uh, some things that they might say. Uh, there might be some hurts. There might be some things that I wasn't even aware of that had happened that they were just so angry and upset that they never even came to me and talked to me about. You know, so, and that's possible as well. But understand that whenever that begins to happen, there's going to be that, uh, that, that, that point where uh, 
they, they can come back. I want them to come back. Almost 99% of those who have, have gone astray are more than welcome to come back. But there also needs to be some uh, restitution with the reconciliation. Not an embarrassment, not groveling, not making them pay penance, but at least their heart needs to be right. Amen? And that's part of the, you know, the ability of me to, to uh, make sure that, that as a, the pastor that I, I understand the heart. Because I've got a, a vantage point that most people don't have as being pastor. I can tell their spiritual whereabouts and where they are spiritually at my vantage point than, than you can. So you've got to trust me on whether or not, once I open up that, uh, that door, then that's when the church has an obligation to also be a part of that reconciliation. When that door is open and, and you give the right hand of fellowship to somebody and you try to, you know, I try to bring them back in, then as a church body, not out of obligation, but out of your heart, you need to pray about it and ask God to, you know, give you a, a, a trust and a love and character that we talked about in that, that restitution process or rest, reconciliation process to where they can be, to where you can be a part of restoring them and making them part of the body. One thing I'll never do is I'll never let somebody come back that will harm the body. I'll never do that. I'll tell them, no, it's not the time. You can go somewhere else and be saved, but if I know that they'll cause harm to the body, this body right here, I will tell them you need to find somewhere else to go. Amen? And Because I'm not going to jeopardize what we have here over something that I don't really feel comfortable in bringing, uh, allowing them to come back. But I, I'll tell you probably 99% of the time, come on back. Just get right with God. You know, uh, we don't expect you to show all this, you know, groveling on the floor, you know, all this stuff. Hopefully you do that at some point and repent before the Lord, but it's not something that we're demanding you to do. We're not, we don't manipulate people like that. But there needs to be a change of heart for that reconciliation to take place. I'm coming to a close here. For restitution to be effective, both parties have to be a part of it. And they both need to exceed the expectation of, of, of what is expected of them. Verse number 19 says, I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest me even thine own self besides. He said, verse number 20, Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels or my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. In other words, I'm going to do, I'm going to meet him more than halfway. I'm going to go out of my way. I'm going to do everything I can to bring them back. I want them to feel comfortable. Now, that timing's got to be right. If they're, if they're mad and angry and they're, they don't even want to talk and they're bitter, it's probably not the time to knock on their door or make the phone call. Wait for God to prepare the heart. Make sure you have the, the okay in the Holy Ghost to, to do that. That timing's got to be right. If the Lord's dealing with them, then go and, and seek them. Go out of your way. Do everything you can to, to reconcile. But let the Lord be a part of that That you know, that, that giving to them or offering that, again, that right hand of fellowship, you really need to make sure that that's the Lord that's doing it, not your just desire or you're missing them and you want them to be a part. I, I'll be honest with you. I don't want backsliders and people who have lost their way to come back here unless they are ready to come back. Amen? We don't just need bodies to fill seats in here. That's not, that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to build a strong 
church, a strong that's got a, a church that's got a lot of faith and that we've got signs and wonders and miracles. And if there's people that come back that they're not ready to come back and their heart's not ready to be a part of the body again, that, that can just be a distraction. So I don't want them to come back until the Lord bids them and begins to deal with their hearts. And boy, that's my, and I began to say a while ago, that's my dream is to see I mean, backsliders come in by the droves. The, you know, 20 years have almost passed by. And so there's been a lot of people that's come and gone. And, and that, that is just, you know, my, uh, you still have a love and a desire and memories and pictures and all that that you just want to, you want to reconcile. You want it to be like it used to be. And that is a feeling that we have. But I don't think that's just a human feeling. I think that can be the Holy Ghost too. I think that can be the Lord prompting us to, to pray for them and reach out uh, to them. And so as we stand, I'm going to do something a little bit different whenever we dismiss. I want us to pray uh, for the, the people that have lost their way. And they may not, they may not be here. They, they may have gone. They might be, you know, in Timbuktu somewhere. But I'd like for us to pray for them uh, that God will allow the, the spirit of reconciliation. And whatever has gotten in their heart, whatever has uh, uh, hurt them, uh, those hurts and the, the bad things that have happened that have caused them to uh, be bitter towards them or uh, towards the Lord or to the church, uh, to their brothers and sisters. I, I just pray that God will begin to move on them. And, and I am confident. I, maybe this lesson is unnecessary. Maybe it's something that we would already do. But, but I wanna, I, I'm very confident that whenever somebody comes back and they're, they're repenting and they're, they're wanting to be restored again to the body, I am, I am completely confident that we as a church body uh, would try our best to help them navigate their way back to the Lord. Amen. You feel that about this church as well. I, I, I really feel confident about that. But in order for that to begin, that process, that part of being able to come, have them come back physically to the church, there has to be a spiritual dynamic that, that God begins to work on their heart and that God gives them some honest moments, you know. I mean, honest moments that, that they look at things for not through the eyes of me or you or anybody else, not through their own for sure, but, but through the eyes of the Lord and His Word, and they can see clearly what they need to do. Amen. Or at least who they need to talk to or what the conversation needs to be, that God will give them wisdom and an understanding. This is the problem right here. Amen. Could you do that with me? Let's just pray for them. Amen. Let's pray right now. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you, God, for the, the spirit, Lord, of reconciliation. God, I thank you for the ministry, Lord, of restoration, reconciliation that you have given to the church. Lord, I thank you for this book, Lord, that, that this entire book was on the subject of reconciliation, Lord. And God, I pray that we can be a part of that, Lord, that we can see people come back to you, God, that they can get beyond their hurts and their offense, Lord, beyond the, the, the things that have happened to them, Lord, that was very, very bad. And Lord, I, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you'll begin to deal with their hearts, Lord. God, I pray that they will be able to see the love, Lord, the intentions that we have for them, God. Lord, I pray that they'll be able to see our motives, Lord, that we were not trying to hurt them, Lord, that we were not trying to destroy them, God. Lord, we were not trying to rebuke them to the point where they left, God, but Lord, that they, that they are loved, that they are regarded by not only you, Jesus, but by your church, Lord. 
And God, I pray that you'll orchestrate some meetings. God, I pray that you'll orchestrate some crossing of paths. God, I pray that you will begin to deal with hearts right now, God. Lord, to where you can bid them to come back to the church, Lord, to be a part of the body that still loves them, Jesus. And Lord, I give you all praise and I give you all honor. Lord, I know that you are the only one that can truly bring them back, God. Lord, you have the power, Jesus. You have the ability to draw them back to you, God. And I pray that you will give them the opportunity and the chance, God, to make things right with you. And Lord, I, I give you praise for it. Thank you for this body. Thank you for this church. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to bless them abundantly, God. They deserve the absolute best from you, Jesus. And I pray for blessings to be upon them, God. Lord, I pray that you'll be with the group that's at AYC right now, Lord. God, move upon them. Let them have an incredible move of God tonight, Lord. And God, I give you all the praise in Jesus' name.